Pastor John Cannon and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this message from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from Scripture would better equip you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's join Pastor John as we study the Word together. learn. True spirituality. We're getting ready to start our new uh, uh, small group study here, and it it is called True Spirituality, and uh, it's out of Romans 12, but it is actually out of the whole book of Romans, uh, but we focus on Romans 12 there, and we're going to, and basically this is just an overview today, an introduction into what the study is, and and so uh, we're going to jump in with both feet. First thing I want you to know is that every parent has a dream for their child, okay? Uh, If you're a parent here, uh, what I want you to do is think back, and if you're not a parent, I just want you to, or you have aspirations of being a parent, I just want you to kick back and think about uh, being a parent, all right? But every parent, I want you to go back to that first pregnancy before you had any children. You didn't have any kids. Uh, if If you're the husband, your wife was pregnant. If you're the wife, you were pregnant, okay? And I want you to think about those times. Can we turn me down just a tiny bit? I feel, sounds like I'm in a barrel or something up here. I don't know. Maybe I am. But I want you to think about the things that went through your mind about what that little boy or what possibly that little girl might be when they grow up. And the dreams and the thoughts and the aspirations and the hopes that you had for them. And I want to tell you that God has a dream for His children as well. Amen. And this morning I want to capture the emotion of how God feels and understand how deeply God plants desires and dreams for us, His children. And I want to capture the emotion of how God feels and understand us, for us. For many of us, when our kids are small and we're sort of young, immature parents... We have a dream like, I hope he's a baseball player, or I hope she's musical, or it'd be great if she's, you know, athletic or artistic. For Penny and I, we were just hoping these two boys wouldn't be too big of an embarrassment to our family. (laughs) Sorry, Jake. Love you, man. (laughs) That's a joke. We we joke around a lot like that. But uh, then as you get a little bit older, though, and you go through some life stages, then you're like, instead of those, I hope he's a baseball player or, or she's a dancer or whatever the case may be. You're like, I hope they get a good job. Or I just hope they do well in school. And a lot of the dreams you have for them aren't quite about what they do. The older you get, the older they get, you get to where I don't care what they do. I just want a kid that loves me, loves God, and tells the truth. And your dreams turn into what kind of a person you want them to be. Not what they're doing, not what they're going to do, but what they're going to be. The type of person they are. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Our children can be the source of our greatest joy. I think you need to back up one. There you go. Our children can be the source of our greatest joy or our greatest, deepest pain. In your uh, bulletin, you should have got a handout. It's true spirituality. God's dream for your life. And I'd ask you to follow along and fill in the blanks as you go. Okay? And if you don't have a pen, I'm sure uh, there's some out in the foyer, whatever the case may be. But, but if, if you don't have a pen or nothing, just at least just follow along. But our children can be the source of our greatest joy or our deepest pain. Uh, yesterday, we went and saw Cody and Jake. They moved to Fort Leonard Wood. Cody and Jake. Cody and Kelly, excuse me. Yeah. Jake was there. And, uh, you know, I, I've always been proud of my boys and, and their accomplishments and what they've been doing. And, and, and uh, 
the, the young men that they've turned into. But yesterday more, has more to do with my grandkids. The joy yesterday was my youngest, Lincoln, took his first step. Okay? And we got it on video. All right? The deepest pain was when we walked in, Henry walks up into the kitchen and he looks at me and he smiles. Then he runs right by me and into Grandma's arms. <laughs> so, they can be joy, they can be pain, you just never know. Uh, but anyway, no one can hurt you as deeply as your kids. They're a part of you, you know? Your heart's tied up in them. And if, you get a, if we were to get a microphone out in the congregation this morning and pass it around, I'm sure we could tell stories about kids that have made some really bad decisions. Kids that possibly have addictions. Or kids that don't talk to you anymore. Or kids that, you know. How many of us right now would say, I could care less about what kind of job they have. Or what school they went to as long as we had a great, loving relationship and we were friends. I wouldn't care about any of the rest of it. We love our kids. Even if, even if at this point we're, we're not getting along with our kids, we still love them. God loves you. I remember when I was young, my sister did embroidery, and she, she embroidered me a, a denim jacket like Angela's there. On the back, it was a big smiley face, and around it said, Smile, God loves you. And, uh, you know, I used to get made fun of because I wore that thing. But, you know, you think back now, God truly loves you. And I don't think we realize that enough. Because you see, at the end of the day, the real dream in your heart is not what your kids do. It's about what they become. And it's about their relationship and genuine connection to you. And I want you to know this, that our Heavenly Father has a dream for every one of His children. He does. He, every one of you have a purpose. And God's dream is for you to fulfill that purpose. God's dream is to make you like His Son. And you can write that word Son down right on that little line right there. Matthew 5.48 says, Be perfect, therefore, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. God has a dream for it. In Romans 8.29, He says, God uses every circumstance, every up, every down, every relationship... Everything we ever go through to conform us to the image of His Son. In Ephesians 4, it says that the whole purpose of the church is designed so that the, through the relationships we have with each other, okay, that we have the gifts that God places in our body, and that we would all grow into a mature man with a stature measured in Christ's fullness. God has a dream for each and every one of us. And through this study, over the next six weeks, we're going we're to see what that dream is. We're going to see how we fulfill that dream. Because you need to understand your life with God is not about what you do or what you accomplish. It's not about what kind of job you have or how many points you're scoring spiritually. His dream is the kind of person you become and the kind of relationship you have with Him. And these are some questions you need to be asking yourself. What's your relationship like with your Heavenly Father this morning? Is it strained? Because I can think back to my relationship with my sons, both of them. And those times, whether it be Cody, whether it be Jake, and so on. Now, come on, you guys, you know the Pratt family. We don't really fuss and fight. But there's times when things get strained here or there. Okay? Because they won't do what I tell them to do. No, <laughs> no but, but we, sometimes our relationships with our, with our children get strained. Okay? And the best thing for us to do is, of course, fix it. And the same goes with our Heavenly Father. If that relationship this morning is strained, guess what? You need to fix it. His dream is the kind of person you become not the kind, and the kind of relationship you have with Him. He wants you to be a loving, kind, gentle, holy person who walks with integrity. And while we're on that word integrity, if you look at your notes and turn them over on the back page, you notice it has an answer key with all the answers right there. Okay? Turn that back over and, and follow along with me. If you miss one later on, you can go back and use that answer key to fill them in. Okay? But He wants us to have casual conversations have you talked with Him while you're driving in the car? How's your prayer life with your, with, with, with your Heavenly Father, with God? Do you pray on a regular basis? 
Do you, have, do you just have conversations with him? You know, he's very content just to sit back and listen to you talk. Listen to your problems. Or do you only go to him when you have a problem? God likes to hear from you when you don't have any problem. When you just want to chat. I don't want to make it sound irreverent, but come on, God, God likes to hear from you, even on good days. Not just when you're having a bad day. You know what God likes to hear when you come to a crossroads of a big decision and everyone says, do this? And God says, do that? God wants to hear you say, God, I want to do it your way. I want to please you. He wants an intimate, loving, deep relationship with you. And I remember when I was younger, it was all about what I wanted. I know with my relationship with my parents, you know, I knew everything. And I knew how that, our relationship was strained at times. And I, you know, God doesn't want a relationship with you like that. He wants a deep, caring relationship. Something's happened in the last 40 to 60 years that is unprecedented. It's awesome. It's amazing. But along with that, we have a crisis in Christianity. Okay? Literally millions and millions and tens of millions of people have come to Christ over the last 40 to 60 years. More than in the last two to three centuries. Okay? More people have authentically said, Lord Jesus, I recognize you are the God of the universe. You paid for my sin. You rose from the dead. I trust you. And he comes into their heart. And that's where he abides. But then that's where the crisis starts. I'll put it in the words of John Stott. It was a former statesman. He, he traveled all around the world. He said, Christianity has never had growth like it's had in the last four or five decades. But it's about 16 million miles wide and about a sixteenth of an inch thick. He said the greatest need in Christendom today is in every country of the world, except where the, uh, there's persecution or focused discipleship, is spiritual maturity. What he's saying, we've had explosive growth, but there's no depth. Christ, most Christians don't have any depth to their Christianity. Barner reports, Gallup polls, many of our own experiences tell us what? That about eight out of ten people who claim the name of Christ have very little family resemblance. That kind of gives me this. I don't know whether that gave me the chills or it's just chilly up here. <laughs> but eight out of ten people. Wow. See, when you're spiritually mature, you think like Jesus, you walk like Jesus, you love like Jesus, you're selfless like Jesus, your priorities, your money, your time are all like Jesus. But then for many, many people, the great vast majority, their words, their intellectual belief system about Jesus, about God, well, that's over here, okay? But their actual lifestyle is over here, okay? There's, there's a big difference between what they believe and what they preach and what they talk from how they live and how they walk. There's an awful lot of people outside the church, people outside those doors right there that look at Christianity, they look at churches, and they meet people who are genuine followers of Christ and they say, you know something? If that's it, I, I don't think I want it. That's sad. That people look, not at God's Word, but at the way we walk, the way we live our lives, and they say, if that's if that's Christ, I don't want it. The greatest need in the world today is for Christians to live like Christians. But here's what's exciting. It's not guesswork. It's not about how hard you try. It's not about being religious. God gives us a very clear picture of His dream or what his dream is for your life in Romans 12. God's dream for every child of his is to become a disciple. And you can write this down, a Romans 12 Christian. 
And that's what we're getting into through this study. That's His will for your life. Now, we're not saying that Romans 12 is all there is to becoming a disciple. We've got the whole book from cover to cover that tells us how to be a Christian. But here's what I'm saying. Romans 12 is the executive summary, if you will. It's a snapshot in time of what Christianity should look like, what our relationship should look like. It's like this amazing mind that God gave the Apostle Paul and he takes all the teachings of Jesus and for 11 chapters he writes about the work of Christ and the sin of mankind and the theology. And for 11 chapters he writes about all that God has accomplished how much He loves His people. Then in chapter 12, He stops and He gives us a snapshot. Click. The Apostle Paul gives us the executive summary of what it means to be truly spiritual. And that's what we're going to learn uh, through. And the first thing we're going to learn is that it, it's relational. If you'll turn out and open your notes to the inside there, there's five key relationships we're going to look at. We're going to go through it, then we're going to go back to the top and go through it again. But I want you to look in your notes, and if you have a pen, circle a few keywords key for me in these passages. Uh, and, and again, all we're going to do is an overview here. The first one says, it's a relationship with God. And what I want you to do is circle that word God. Verse 1 is going to talk about what the snapshot of spiritual maturity is, of true spirituality with God. And as we keep going, the next one says it's a relationship with the world. And I want you to circle the word, those words, the world. There's a world system that we're going to learn about. And this world system is anti-God. It's energized by the enemy of your soul, seeking to seduce you away from Christ. And then it's going to talk about your relationship with yourself and circle the word yourself. Then notice that we talk about a relationship with believers. Circle that word believers. And that's the way that spiritual maturity, authentic followers relate to other Christians that does amazing things in them and amazes uh, amazing things in others. When we get a hold of that true spirituality. I'm going to get something from you. And prayerfully, I'm doing it right. You're going to get something from me. We're going to energize each other. And then finally, the last one is a relationship with non-believers. And circle that word if you would. Second thing we learn about being a Romans 12 Christian is that it's practical and measurable. I like practical. Okay? And I like measurable. I like being able to see where I'm at and how I'm doing. And from time to time, I'll even go into pastor's office and sit down at his desk. And he looks at me in bewildered. What are you doing? And I say, tell me how I'm doing. As a leader in the church, you see my life. How, how do you, how do you, I, I like his perspective. I like being measured to know where I, where I sit, stand. You know, gives me some insight as things I need to improve on. Because in my eyes, I look in the mirror, I don't see much needed improvement. Okay. <laughs> Okay, and I honestly look to my wife and my friends and my family who always give their honest opinion and my pastor to, to tell serious. And I'm serious. I know it's funny, but but to give me serious criticism and say, hey, look, you need to really improve here. So that's where we're at. This isn't just an ooey gooey spiritual feeling I'm talking about. Notice what it says in verse one of Romans 12 it says, therefore. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God, that is your spiritual act of worship. Now, as we look at that word offer, that's referring to a point in time. More, 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 better said would be when we offer. Okay? We're going to see what it says so we can know practically and measurably. And going back up to the top there on that line, a spiritual mature, authentic follower is surrendered to God. We're on the inside of our notes right here. That line up at the top on number one there. Relationship with God is surrendered to God. 
on a certain day, this is, this is the offer, when we offer, on that certain day at a certain time on their spiritual journey, a man or a woman, possibly a student, has realized how God, excuse me, how great and powerful God is, and that His will is good, and they bowed their knee, bowed their heart, and said to God, I'm all in. I will do whatever you want me to do. Your word will be the guide of my life. I want to arrange my life, my relationship, my priorities around whatever you say. That is true surrender. When we surrender to God, that's what we, that's what we should be saying. That's what we should be doing. And let's focus on the doing more than we are on the saying. It's easy to sit in here on a Sunday morning and get all ooey-gooey caught up in the spiritual uh, what's going on here and say, Lord, I surrender to you. It's a whole different story when we step out the doors and we stay surrendered to Him. And that's what we really need to focus on is that longevity. When we step out the doors, are we remaining surrendered? Your Word will be the guide of my life. Like I said, I want to arrange my life, my relationships, and my priorities around whatever you say. And of course, as we say that, that answers one of the biggest questions that you'll ever face in your life. How do you give God what He wants most? God wants you most. He wants you to surrender. He wants, he wants 100% of you. That's what He wants the most. And have you ever asked yourself, I wonder what God wants from me? You ever see in the movies when somebody's down and out and just getting blow after blow, it seems like everything's happening to them and they, they're on their knees and they look up, what do you want from me? You ever felt like asking, yelling that at God? What do you want from me, God? He doesn't want your religious activity. And we all know there's a place for Bible study, there's a place for church, there's a place for prayer, there's a place for all kinds of things. But you can do all of those things. You can read your Bible. You can pray. And Him still not have you. You can do all that and still not be surrendered. My observation in most Christians' lives is that there's a missing ingredient. Romans 12 is not, the only, is not only relational and practical. It answers this big question and gives us a missing ingredient to every relationship. And this missing ingredient is missing in most Christians' lives. And you can just jot this down right on the side of your notes if you're writing, and that's, that's the word power. We're missing out on God's power. Have you ever been washing the car, spraying off the, and then turn the hose on your wife? Okay? And you're hosing her down. Right? We all know how that works. Come on, guys. <laughs> Lots of water pressure. And then she runs over to the, to the hose and grabs it and she picks it up and she kinks it. What happens to that water pressure? It's gone. Gone. None. What I want you to understand is that you can be a legitimate, sincere, born-again believer in, in Jesus. But if your hose is kinked, if your life isn't surrendered, you do not have His power. We need to unkink our hose. We need God. In order to survive when we walk out these doors on Sunday afternoon, we need, we need the power of God. We, I need Him. I I'm telling you, I fail miserably when I'm out there because I'm not always tapped into His power. I'm, I'm being honest with you. You've got, to, you've got to stay on top of it as a believer in order to stay connected into that power to keep Satan from walking up and kinking your hose because it'll happen. Romans 12 isn't only relational and practical, it answers that big question. Becoming a Romans 12 Christian begins in your relationship with God by being surrendered to Him. And notice, beginning in verse 2, it says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, that which is good and pleasing and perfect. And as we look at this verse, there's a negative and a positive command here, and we're going to develop and, and talk about it as we go on through this study. But in essence, what he says is, with regards to the world system, that tells you that money and stuff and, and sex and power and prestige 
will deliver security and significance and great relationships? Yeah, well. But what he's saying is, you've got to live separate from the world. Separate from the world. Notice that what he doesn't say, he doesn't say try hard to be a good Christian. He says, let your mind be transformed. Okay? Number one, when he says let your mind, that takes a willful decision on our part, right? To let our mind be transformed. But again, to let Him do the transforming. There are a few positions, I think, in all the world that are more miserable than a legitimate born-again follower of Jesus Christ in whom the Spirit of God lives, who lives with one foot walking with God and the other foot walking in the world system. You're looking at an expert. Being in the military isn't conducive sometimes to being an awesome Christian. Okay? Uh, Working where I work, I'm sure working where you work, you have your struggles. We all have our struggles with the world sometimes out there. But they're, they're constantly bombarding you with worldly things. It can be difficult sometimes. I've been over here where I've had Bible study talking about sexual purity and purity on this side. And then I'm over here lusting like crazy over here telling God, I'll never do this. I'll never do that again. And I'll tell you, it's miserable. If If you're living this way on Wednesday night, Sunday morning, small group night, whatever night you meet on. And you're talking about this and that. Yeah, amen, brother, amen. And then you're over here at work and you're living another way on this side. You've got a spiritual checkup you need to accomplish. We're going to be talking about that here just shortly. And this is the place the majority of believers are. We forfeit another ingredient when we're in that place. And that's God's peace. The guilt, the shame of logging on. To the computer. The guilt and shame of flirting over here. The guilt and shame of all kinds of stuff that you're into. You're lured into the world. The world conforms you. You're thinking to a bankrupt system. And this system never delivers. What's, what's God's word say? There's pleasure in sin for a while. But in the long run, in the long term, it never delivers. You know what? God loves you too much to leave you in that position. To leave you where you're at right there. We're going to learn how to break that cycle. How God's spirit, God's power can help you live the kind of life that you long for. And that he dreams for you. That's what he wants for you. We'll learn how you get uh, get his best beginning in verse 3. We learn that in your relationship to ourselves. Or your relationship to yourself. God desires a sober Self-assessment. This is where we look in the mirror. And we do an honest, as the verse says, sober self-assessment. Romans 12.3 says, For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly or sober, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. He wants you in your relationship with yourself to look in the physical mirror, to look in the spiritual mirror, And to look in the relational mirror and say, God made me. God loves me. God loves that person in the mirror. And so do I. The personality, the gifts, the height, the eye color, those struggles, even that family background, God loves me. He wants you to have an accurate, sober view of yourself. God wants you to see yourself in a way He sees you loved, valuable, Precious and forgiven. That's how He wants wants you to see yourself. Because that's how He sees you. You realize how much time and energy and money and posing and image management we do as normal human beings? I mean, look at what I went through this morning. And you know the big question this answers? How do you come to grips with yourself? 
the real you. I mean, you realize how much time, right, we put into being ourselves? You know how much time God puts into you being you? Even as Christians, we try and project to all these different people that I'm like this or I'm like that. We dress like this or I'm cool like that. I know this. Did you know I know so-and-so? Or, you know how many people report to me at work? My son or my daughter, they got this on their SAT scores. He hit two home runs. Did you know I went to an Ivy League school? How about this one, ladies? This person is not a knockoff. It's really real. (laughs) This watch, it's a Rolex. Or, I got promoted. And then, after we've said these things, we go off, we try to spiritualize it. God wanted me to have this. God wanted me to do this. Maybe He did, but your whole way of going about telling us was totally unspiritual. You see what I'm saying, though? It's not bad to have all those things. I would love to have a Rolex. But, you know, not the purse so much. But this section is going to teach you how to come to grips with the real you. And then it's going to supply us another missing ingredient. Verse 1 supplies the power. And when you understand that, verse 2 supplies the peace. Verse 3 supplies your purpose. Because God made each and every one of us specifically. We each have a specific purpose. Okay? So if we're going to, walking down our spiritual highway and we see so-and-so beside us, just because they're beside us doesn't mean they have the same purpose. We're just going in the same direction. We each have a specific purpose. You are His workmanship. You're created in Christ Jesus unto a good work, which before the found, which was before, before the foundation of the world. God has a purpose for your life. And when you're always pretending to be someone else, or you're comparing yourself to someone else, and not accepting that these are my strengths, these are my weaknesses, these are my gifts, this is my background. This is where I come from. It produces some difficulty and even some dependency. And we've got to get through that. We've got to get over that. We've got, we've got to move towards spiritual maturity. And until you do a sober self-assessment, an honest self-assessment, you look in that mirror and you... Truly say, I am a sinner. I have been living a lie. I have been doing this over here, but actually living over here. Be be honest with yourself. You don't have to be honest with me. You don't have to be honest with anybody. Be honest with yourself. Number one, God knows you're not lying to anybody. Until you do that, you end up playing games your whole life. Playing the church game, right? You try to fulfill your mom's purpose, your dad's purpose culture's purpose for you, the company's purpose, try to live up to what other people think. The fourth thing you see is that relationships with believers, serving in love. There we go. Serving in love. Love must be sincere. The word literally is without mask or without hypocrisy. True Love. I look at my wife back there in the back row. I know her faults. She definitely knows my faults. But that's true. I'm telling you, that's true love. And God loves us more than that. That's love. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Brotherly love. You got a hold of that? We're to love each other like God loves us. Right? We we really do need to get a hold of that. We do need to get a grasp on that and realize what brotherly love is. And even more than that, let's practice it. 
Remember that new commandment Jesus gave the early disciples in John 13, 34, and 35? Remember what He said? He said this, I give you a new command. Love one another. How? Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. I don't really doesn't need much more explanation than that, does it? We're to love each other. How? Like Jesus loves us. Amen. That we would die. Okay? What does he say? No greater love hath someone than that he laid down his life for another. Wow. Not by buildings, not by external morality, but by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. See, if we're running around here and we're loving and hugging, and I have to say, Victory Church does an awesome job of showing love. I mean, uh, if, if we're faking it, we're awfully good at it. Okay? But I can't tell, I'm serious, I can't tell you the number of people that come up to me and say, Victory Church is the friendliest church I've ever been associated with. Cody and Kelly down in uh, St. Robert's, that area. Cody went to a church last Sunday. They're just moving there, trying to find out where they're going to be attending. First question he went, first question we asked, how friendly were they? Eh. You know? It's important. That's how people know that we're His, is how we show love. This section of true spirituality from Romans 12 answers the question that we all struggle with. How do I experience authentic community? I think we do a pretty good job of that around here. Always room for improvement, of course. I don't want to say we're perfect at anything, then we'll quit trying, right? There's so many lonely people out there that could use a friend. I would imagine there's even lonely people sitting here this morning with a smile on their face. We don't even realize how lonely they truly are. I'm not just talking about being in a group. I'm not talking about being a member of something. I mean, how do I experience someone or two or three in my life that I can unzip my heart and I can risk putting it out there and I can tell them things that I won't be condemned and they'll support me, love me. And when I'm going through a horrendous time, they'll be there for me and they know I'd be there for them. Who's ready for that kind of friendship? Where you can bear... Bear your soul to them. And they're going to hug your neck and pray for you. Pray with you. To have some friends who would literally, not figuratively, not metaphorically, friends who would actually die for you. I've got friends that if I call them at 2 in the morning and say, hey, could you bring a shovel, a tarp, and some rope? They'd be there like that. <laughs> just joking. I'm just they are good friends, but I'm just joking. <laughs> That's authentic community. And I tell you what, when you get around people that love each other like that, it's powerful. And when I'm around here during fellowship time Sunday mornings, have have you paid really just paid attention to the spirit in this room? It's powerful. It really is powerful. And just sit back sometime and just take it all in. You get a different perspective when you're up here singing or you're up here and you can see the crowd and you see the love and the... And the I'm going to make myself cry up here. The absolute concern that we have for each other. It, it, it's unbelievable. It's powerful. But you know what's missing in most Christians' lives? It's not the power. It's not the purpose. It's experiencing God's presence. And it's really easy to experience God's, God's presence when we're in the sanctuary of Victory Church or even when we're in our small groups. Okay, There's certain times in your life where you're at when you're with your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's really easy to experience God's presence. But a lot of, a lot of Christians don't get to experience that. Somehow it's just like we do all these works and we hope God shows up. God's primary plan for showing up in your life apart from when you read His Word or you're talking to Him in prayer. Do you know the primary way God shows up in your life? 
through other Christians, through your brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, you could be sitting in here praying, right? I, I remember that story, uh, it was a joke or whatever, a story joke, about the guy, the flood's coming up, and the guy's on his roof, and, and he said, Lord, save me, and this helicopter shows up, and no, nah, I'm, I'm waiting, God's going God's to gonna rescue me, okay. Boat shows up, and says, hey, I'm here to save you, now nah, I'm waiting, God's, God's going to rescue me, you know. All, all these people show up trying to save him, and he waves them off. Now nah, I'm waiting for God. God's going to save me. And he ends up drowning. It's in heaven. He says, God, what happened? He says, well, I sent you a boat, a helicopter. I sent all these rescue people. What more do you want, you know? And that's, that's what really a lot of us are doing. God's there for us. He, he is. He, he's there. He's there in you, in you, in you. Look around. God's there. He sent somebody that He loves you through each other. We've got to realize that. Got to realize that. I mean, if an angel comes in the middle of the night tonight and stands at the foot of your bed, and if he hugs you and fixes you a meal and says, tell me what's really going on, I really want to hear what you got to say, well, I say, bless you. But for the 99.9% of the rest of us, Jesus is going to show up in your life and He's going to show up in the body of another person. A man or a woman or a fellow student where there's kind of this chemistry and this safety and this love and you're devoted to one another in brotherly love and you give preference to one another in honor and you do life together. And the final part of becoming a Romans 12 Christian isn't just your relationship with God, it's your relationship with the world to yourself, other believers... But it's the evil in the world, your relationship with non-believers that are hostile to the gospel. And unfortunately, sometimes it's even believers that are evil and hostile towards you. But it's supernaturally responding to evil with good. You can hear the Apostle Paul reaching into the Sermon on the Mount. Romans 12, 14-21 says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be in agreement with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Try to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for His wrath. For it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Fail. Guy cuts me off in traffic. What do I want to do? Get in front of him. Yeah. We're to conquer evil with good. Instead, when somebody cuts you off, wave, pray for them. <laughs> you get, hey, it's, it's, it's the truth. We, hey, I'm not the only one that has road rage. Okay? And I'm not standing up here proud of it by any means. However, I'm just saying, we need to conquer evil with good. When, when, when some, somebody curses us, you don't curse them back. When somebody, you know, what does the Bible say? When, when, when you're slapped, turn the other cheek. We're human. Evil's going to come at, into all of our lives at some time or another. And some of you have had more than others. But if you're going, to, uh, you're going to get ripped off, you're going to get betrayed, you're going to have someone walk out on you, you're going to have kids say terrible things to you, People who've loaned money, uh, you've loaned money and they promise to pay it back. Guess what? They're not going to pay it back. And then there's that evil that's sort of systemic. You can love God with all your heart, but guess what? Christians that love God with all their heart get cancer. They get hit by drunk drivers. They get caught up in the bad economy and lose their homes. And even when they've been faithful with their finances... Guess evil's coming your way. Evil is here. God never said when you accepted Him, 
that life was going to be a rose garden. Just the opposite. You accept Christ as your Savior, Satan's going to throw everything he has at you. So the question is, how do you overcome the evil aimed at you? And I love what God says here, and I'm just paraphrasing this. Don't say, well, I never saw that in the Bible. I'm just kind of paraphrasing this. True spirituality is how the Spirit of God lives the life of Christ out in my relationship with my Heavenly Father, with the world, with myself, with believers, and then with unbelievers when the raw deals are coming my way. You know what? It doesn't matter what the world throws at me. If I stay faithful to Christ and I stay the path and I don't quit, guess what? God's going to stay faithful to me. That, does that mean I'm not going to have to go through some trials and tribulations? No. But it means on that day when I face Christ, okay, I can face Him without having said, I quit. You know, something a lot of Christians have missing in their life is perspective. Okay? Perspective. We look at things differently. We could all right now probably take out a 3 by 5 card or get out our phone and go to our notes app. We could probably all list four or five people that used to walk with God, but now they don't. Because somebody hurt them. Somebody walked out on them. They got in a car wreck and now they walk with a limp and they blame God. Or they got ripped off by somebody. They never got what they had coming to them. See, there's a reason that almost 25% of the book of Genesis is dedicated to the life of Joseph. Because Joseph is a picture of true spirituality and how you respond to the evil aimed at you. That little phrase in there, the Lord was with Joseph. You know what else Joseph had? Was perspective. Joseph had spiritual perspective and in those days, falsely accused and imprisoned, he had a way of rising above what's that seemingly endless problems that he always had. Looking at it and saying, you know something? There's a sovereign God that has either decreed or allowed this, and he loves me. And I don't know how it's going to work out, but if I, as long as I don't bail out on him and I trust him, he'll work it for good and he'll do in me and through me. What could never otherwise be done. And we see the life of, life of Joseph and what he went through from the time he was sold into slavery till he saved the nation of Israel, right? All those things that wouldn't have happened, he would not have ended up being the, most second, the second most powerful person really in the entire world at that time. And again, save the Jewish nation. God has a game plan for you. He has... Your Joseph story. You have your Joseph story to live out. And it's going to be a big one. For some, it's going to be small. For some, it's going to be large. But we all have a Joseph story to live out. So do you, as we go through this, do you start to recognize what true spirituality is all about? It's about relationships. It's measurable. You can measure. Am I surrendered? Am I separate from the world's values? Do I have a sober self-assessment of myself? Am I serving in love? Am I supernaturally responding to good with evil? And it helps you answer those questions. And little by little, as we walk through life together, you'll begin to experience, as you trust and obey by faith, God's power, God's peace, God's purpose, His presence, and His perspective. What Jesus said to them, He said to us as well, if you abide in My Word... And that word taken for the purpose of applying it by faith, then you know the truth, and the truth, of course, will set you free. Now, I want to close with this one important perspective. There's a danger on this journey that we're going on. And like every journey, there's dangers. Harold knows. Yeah. Blowout. Flat tires. Broken vehicles. The danger here is when we very subtly start to think of the Romans 12 journey as a moral code or a set of bars to live up to. It is not a try-hard moral code, but a faith response 
to what God has already done for us. It's not a checklist as in, okay, I'm going to be surrendered today. I'm going to be separate. I'm going to do a self, a sober self-assessment. It's not just a checklist we go down every day. It's something we live. I think I've got that down. I'm all going to serve the Lord in love. Let's see. I can't remember the last one. Oh, yeah. Supernaturally. Right? Supernaturally what? Respond to something with something. Okay? It's not, like I said, it's not a checklist. And I want to remind you, true spirituality has nothing to do with living a good life so that God will love you. Let me, let me lay that out right now. God loves you. That's, that's not the question here. True spirituality has everything to do with beginning to grasp the height, the depth, the length and breadth of how much God has already loved you and demonstrated that love. And of course, you living out that love and freedom. So Paul lays it out in the first 11 chapters of Romans. Chapters 1 through 3. For all of us, for all, all of us, Fall short of the glory of God. Why? Because there's a sin problem. Go back to that one. Go back one. Sin is our pro- the problem that separates us from God. We sugarcoat this. This isn't just some, uh, not being a nice, nice person. We have sinned. We've betrayed God. We've committed spiritual treason. And of course, He's holy. And His just wrath is upon us for what we've done. And that's the problem. Then we go on. Chapters 4 and 5. Here's the solution. Salvation. God's solution in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The solution to sin is salvation. Jesus, fully man, fully God, lived a perfect life, died on a cross to pay for our sins, rose from the dead, and offers a free gift to whoever would believe and receive it. So much for playing Frisbee after church today. Then there's chapters 6 through 8. They go on to talk about how this new life is lived and how He didn't leave us alone. It wasn't a try-hard moral code. He said the Spirit of the living God in the new covenant will take up residence inside your mortal body. And then Paul goes on to say, sanctification is living your new life in God's power and growing progressively to Christ's likeness. God always keeps His promises. So chapters 9 through 11, his promises to the Jews will be fulfilled. And that's his sovereignty. He uses the fact that they fumbled the ball in terms of their responsibility. They blushed as a bluster, right? But, but that was an instrument of God. And so he says, I'm going to take them out of the game and I will fulfill everything I've said. I made promises to Abraham and to David, but the church is going to be my agent of blessing until I call time out and bring the final days of history to a close. You hear that? The church age is over. Soon. Some believe very soon. God knows. We don't know. Okay? But there's going to be a day... When it's over and God's going to turn back from the church, right? He's going to turn back to the nation of Israel and they're going to take up right back where they were right when they crucified Christ and they're going to take up... That's a whole other sermon, but... Okay? But God's, God's made promises and His sovereignty, He's going to keep them. And of course, after chapter 11... Then chapter 12, and regardless of where you've been, God loves you, died for you, put his spirit inside of you, and will keep every promise. Then, therefore, I urge you to what? Offer your bodies a living sacrifice. We're supposed to surrender. You accept Christ as your Savior, you surrender to him. I'd like everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. I'm going to have the musicians and singers come up. I'd like to ask you this question. And I want you to seriously think about this question as I ask it. And I may have been asked of you before. But I really want you to think about this. Have you ever placed your faith in Christ personally to forgive your, for, for the forgiveness of your sins? Have you ever asked Christ into your heart? You need to think about that. Because that is a life-changing moment. 
Because what I've seen over and over is people very sincerely often start coming to church and then they just unconsciously think, I'm trying hard to be this good person and it's interesting and they begin to experience some change. And they like this change. But what sometimes they never realize is what they actually need to do. They go back, let's go back to that word offer. On a certain day, at a certain time, they need to be born again from above. And that's back in chapter 3, in the beginning of chapter 4. And that's where you come to God on a day like today, raining. And you honestly admit, God, I need your help. I violated you, a holy God. And you need to pray this prayer. You need to pray, Lord, I believe your blood paid for my sin. Your resurrection proved it's true. And on this day, I want to ask you to come to my life forever to forgive me and to be the Lord of my life. And it doesn't have to be those exact words. You put it into your own words. But you have to say them. And you know what? You have to mean it. And then when you walk out those doors, when we're done here shortly, you have to live it. Because this isn't just something you do in service on Sunday morning and then walk out and live your life the way you want to the rest of the week. Because it just does not work that way. I'm going to pray here very shortly. And if you have never accepted Christ as your Savior, I want you to pray those words. I want you to say those words. And if you've accepted Christ as your Savior before, maybe you need to rededicate your life to Him. Maybe you need to to straighten up and start living right. Quit living in two different spots. Bible study and Sunday morning service over here and then the world over here. Maybe you need to bring those together. Or better yet, just kick the world out and live over here you know, in the church church circle. And do what Christ has asked you to do. Live like He's asked you to live. Surrender what He's asked you to surrender. Because I'm telling you, one day, if you're living in two circles here, you might make it into heaven. But while you live here on earth, you're going to have a miserable time. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We praise you, Lord. We come to you now as we draw this service to a close, Lord. We pray that your hand is upon each and every one, Lord. I pray that minds are open, Lord. I pray that hearts are open. I pray that there's somebody here that hasn't received you as their Savior, Lord. That they're, uh, they're saying that prayer, Lord. They're asking you to come into their heart. They're asking forgiveness for their sins, Lord. They're admitting. They're doing that sober self-assessment right now while they sit in their chair, Lord that they realize that they're sinners, that we're all sinners. Lord, and they're asking you to forgive them of their sins, past, present, and future, and to take up residence in their their heart, Lord, to give them the strength to live day to day to do what you've asked them to do, Lord. Just pray that you speak to them right now. And if it's just another brother or sister in Christ rededicating their life to you, Lord. I just pray that you give them the strength, give them the focus to let go of the past and focus on the future. And to be that Christian that you want them to be. To help them to fulfill their purpose. Help us to be Romans 12 Christians. Help us to get a hold of this study, Lord, as we, as we go into it starting tonight. Lord, I just pray you'd bring us through it. And at the end, we'd be better for it, Lord. We love you. We praise you. Again, we thank you for all that you do in our lives. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Well, 
Thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials, or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can email or call, or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109, O'Fallon, Illinois, 62269. Come and check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.